This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and uh, the Spectator's Russia correspondent, Owen Matthews. So this morning we woke to the news that Putin has decided, against many people's predictions, to launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine. What other details we know so far, James? So, Vladimir Putin gave a televised address in Russia this morning, and Russian forces have poured over the border. This is not a this is not a uh, attack limited to trying to secure the territory claimed by the two breakaway republics that Russia unilaterally recognised earlier this week. This is an attack on the on the whole of Ukraine. As we are recording this podcast, there's reports that that an, that an airport near the capital. Kiev has been seized by Russian forces and there have been kind of explosions heard across Ukraine. Vladimir Putin in his speech essentially said that he wants to demilitarize Ukraine, which implies almost kind of liquidating the military forces of Ukraine. And he also said that essentially, if anyone tries to get in Russia's way, they will respond with kind of, you know, maximum force, and and which has been taken, I think, as as an implication that that Russia is prepared to escalate all the way up to nuclear weaponry if, if, if it finds, you know, NATO or other alliances trying to block it from doing what it is doing. Now, Boris Johnson, in his statement at an address to the nation, has uh, labelled Putin as a dictator. And what do you think Putin's perspective on this is? Do you think that there will be surprise in the Kremlin today? There's definitely surprise um, in every other level of the Russian government below the Kremlin, and I think, indeed, within the Kremlin itself. I don't know precisely. But uh, the really striking thing about this whole situation is how many people you know, close to power, people who've been working in the Putin machine for 20 years, people who are pro-Putin, I'm talking about sort of contacts of mine who are diplomats, editors of Russian state TV, how they were completely wrong-footed by this. Like, as late as Sunday, they were sort of with the programme. All of the invasion plans are, uh, are Western hysteria, that uh, it's all about diplomacy, 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 diplomacy. You know, Lavrov said that as late as Sunday evening, and then suddenly something happened that completely wrong-fitted everyone. And for a long time, I taken Russian state media as the bellwether of their indications and they've just been scrambling they've just been having this sort of massive catch-up operation to signal a defensive operation against genocide of Russians in eastern Ukraine that's the current message it's not we're going to incorporate holy Kiev into the Russian empire that's not what the Russian media is saying but they're just throwing every sort of possible sort of trope and and uh, cliche that they sort of cooked up in 2014 when they took Crimea back into the breach and signaling that they're going to be that they're defending the the, the Russians of genocide and also preventing NATO from taking over quote unquote Ukraine so um, the most likely outcome who knows I mean predicting Putin's intentions have has become a very risky business. I won't even try. But the, uh, I mean, the closest thing we have to a precedent for this is Georgia in 2008, when they cooked up a pretext. Well, in fact, the Georgians did, in fact, 
uh, went go in and attack a Russian back to enclave. The Russians crossed the border, hit hard, messed up the Georgian military, and then came back again. So I mean, that's perhaps a likely scenario, rather than a full-scale occupation, which will mean body bags and so on. But the Kremlin has clearly just sort of gone off reservation. It's sort of broken its own narrative. And apparently really actually done things that were appear to be completely against their own interests. And James, on the idea of a full-scale occupation, one of the arguments that figures such as uh, Boris Johnson, uh, other others we're making is it would be very difficult for Putin to maintain that. Uh, you think about the population size, land size of Ukraine. What do you think the sense in government is now? Do, do they think that? What do they think uh, Putin is going to be doing, and for how long? I think the most likely scenario now, in the view of Western governments, is that that. Putin intends to try and essentially inflict overwhelming losses on the Ukrainian military and then install a kind of puppet government in Kiev, maybe carve off a bit more Ukrainian territory, maybe those two breakaway republics that only control about a third of the territory that they claim will you know will be expanded to their full size. But I, I think this is this is a question I think that you know I think there has been there, there has been an odd disconnects on their own touches on which is the intelligence has been warning them that Russia is going to go in and launch a full-scale invasion even within government there was doubt about whether this was true because for, for because this was so clearly going to cause Russia problems and I think that lots of people in government maintain that even though Russia had gathered everything it needed for a full-scale invasion there was still a thought that Putin would do something more designed to split the West than a full-scale invasion you know that you know. For example, I, I I think that you will clear these sanctions. You know, Viktor Orban today is is indicating that you know even Hungary, Russia's closest ally within the EU, will back the sanctions that are being proposed, and that is because Russia has not done anything that operates in any kind of grey area. This is unambiguously a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and therefore going to draw the most maximal response in terms of. Of sanctions from the West. I, I did think that there was one thing missing from Boris Johnson's speech, which is Western leaders need to prepare their publics for the fact that sanctions package that is big enough and dramatic enough to hobble the Russian economy is also going to cause pain for the West too and for Western publics. I think only when the Kremlin hears a willingness of Western democratically elected leaders to tell their voters, this is going to hurt you too. It's going to send petrol prices higher. It's going to send electricity and gas prices higher. It's going to send inflation even higher than it is. Will they think that the West is actually serious? I think that I think that that that, that, that you saw this in that that bizarre televised meeting of the National Security Council. The Russians believe that the West doesn't have the stomach or the patience for the kind of sanctions that could really hurt. No, do you think sanctions could hurt Russia? The type of sanctions the West are considering. I don't think there's very much that Britain can do to hurt the number one. Uh, Leverage, in fact, more or less the only real strategic leverage that Putin has that's not illegal, i.e., hackers or military, and that is his uh, Europe's energy dependence on Russia. Britain's not particularly in that equation. Although, of course, if the Western Europeans are, you know, do start to restrict their imports and move away strategically from Russian gas, then the gas that we draw off from the west of, western end of that network becomes restricted. So indeed, it's going to hurt the, the British people. But there is one form of sanction that actually really could hurt the Russian economy. And it's rather bizarre that uh, Johnson hasn't really sort of gone, gone 
gone gone fully down that road, and that is an existing legislative instrument, which is the Unexplained Wealth Orders, which is uh, a very bizarre statute. It essentially reverses the burden of proof. It forces property owners and company owners in Britain to prove where their wealth came from. That exists. It's on the statute books. And if uh, Boris really wanted to send a very strong message to Putin, he would issue 2,000 unexplained wealth orders tomorrow against every single apartment, every single business that is in any way connected to someone connected to the Russian government. I mean, that's not across the board all Russians. That would be silly and racist and so on. But, you know, clearly there's a gigantic web of you know, beneficial owners and so on. We're not talking about confiscating their property. I mean, you know, Boris Johnson is not a Bolshevik, but it's just about forcing them by law to explain that, you know, you know Lavrov's close female friend uh, is reputed to have a big apartment. The deputy prime minister of Russia has an apartment in Whitehall Court. We can actually literally see it out of the window. Uh, and, you know, all of this property, just slap unexplained wealth orders on everything. And that is something that Boris can do immediately. James, is this Tory government too close to Russian money? I think there is always... I think the Tory party has been ill-advised in some of the people that it has taken money from. I think there is a... I think there is also a problem, which is I think one of... uh, defer to earn on this, obviously. I think one of Putin's tactics has been that people have left Russia for the West, saying that they are fleeing because they have completely fallen out with Vladimir Putin. This turns out to be a confected story that these people have not actually fallen out with Vladimir Putin. This is this is a this is a pretense, but they arrive in the West and they are allowed to buy property, make make their way into society because people believe that they believe their story that they've fallen out with Putin, which isn't actually true. It's a, it's a it's a it's a it is a planned fiction. You know, remember Putin is a former intelligence officer. This is this is the kind of thing that former intelligence officers the way they think so I think I think that is a problem but I think you also you know clearly clearing up this issue is is something that that London needs to do you know the Germans have dealt with Nord Stream 2 by saying that they won't satisfy it and for those people who say that this is only a temporary pause I think if you look at the sanctions that the US has now imposed on Nord Stream 2 following that decision that makes it essentially effectively impossible for Germany to restart that project Obviously, the UK should deal with uh, the ways in which London is used to clean up Russian money. And also, I think there is a, there is a value, I think, if you look at, at, at things that, that Alexei Navalny, the opposition leader who's currently in prison in Russia, has done. You know, there is also clearly a value in terms of dealing with Russia, in terms of exposing just how wealthy Putin and those around him have got at a time when the average Russian is having a very difficult time. I think there is a real benefit in getting that information out there. And Owen, just on uh, Asia, I think it's worth bringing up that we've got a situation here where ultimately we talk a lot about Ukraine, but it's not so long ago we were talking about Taiwan. Do you think that um, the West's actions over the next few days are going to be closely observed by the Chinese government? I think they certainly will be. And uh, actually a, a very old university friend of mine who's been working with the Chinese government for uh, since the, the mid-90s Predict, uh, tells me that the Chinese government have got to keeping a very close eye on this. I mean, it's. I don't think there's some sort of collusion. Or I don't think any, that, that Putin is is Xi Jinping's cat's paw or anything. But certainly, the Chinese are keeping a close eye. Like how, you know, wh- what really is the Western resolve? How strong is the West? What is the the West notionally, and and how how 
forcefully are they willing or how much pain as james has correctly said are they willing to to take in order to enforce the uh, rules-based world order which they pay so much lip service to and that's an enorm- of enormous significance to their strategic thinking about taiwan i think you can see this in the reaction of the us's asian allies you know japan imposed very mild sanctions, even milder sanctions than the West did after Russia annexed Crimea in 2014. You know, it wanted to maintain good relations with Russia. It is now at the more hawkish end of the spectrum. Uh, The Japanese foreign minister has explicitly said because it it thinks that China is watching to see what happens. Um, South Korea has said today that it will join with these these technology sanctions that the US wishes to impose, which are designed to starve Russia of of semiconductors. Taiwan has said the same thing. This is because they get this. And, and, And I, I, to mildly disagree with, with what Ernest said, I think there is a level of collusion to some extent, which is one of the reasons why Russia can mass 180,000 troops, well, previously on the border of Ukraine, now obviously a large number of them inside Ukraine, is because the number of troops on the Russian uh, Russia's border with China and Mongolia is, is down to a hundred year low. I mean, there is there, there it, you know, this Putin Xi relationship is clearly based on not much more than the idea that my enemy's enemy is my friend. But in the short term, that is providing quite a compelling basis for their cooperation. And, you know, it is also clearly true that one of the big beneficiaries from the Ukraine crisis so far has been China. Because, you know, look at where the US's diplomatic attention has been focused. Look at the fact the US is now having to send more forces to NATO's eastern flank to reinforce that, to reassure countries there. You know, this all works for a China which wants which wants to divide the US's attention and prevent the US from focusing purely on the Asia question. There is one other thing that Britain can do specifically, and that is take a leaf out of America's book on extraterritoriality of sanctions. So the way that America basically cleaned up the Swiss banking system was by threatening to sanction Swiss banks that were handling dirty money. Obviously, Britain's economic reach is not the same as America's, but Britain's banking industry is its actual secret superpower. So when we're talking about sanctioning uh, extreme wealth orders and so on for flats in London, that's one thing. If Boris really had the political will to take that to the next level, then you're talking about legislation that actually stops for instance, you know, Cypriot banks, Dubai financial institutions, all the world institutions that actually want to do business in London, sanction them at one degree of separation. It's clearly extraterritoriality. I mean, there is, there's, there's a political debate to be had about that. But if you're talking about effectiveness, that is one thing that Britain and Boris has potentially under his control, and that's the, the London banking sector. And that can be used to damage not just their leisure activities, you know, their, their, the, 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 the apartments and houses and, 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 uh, and so on of Putin's inner circle, but actually all of the dirty money that Putin has parked around the world in third jurisdictions. If they want to do business in London, they can't do business with Russian dirty money. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, James. 